Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Thank you for being here with me. And I am bringing you a very juicy conversation today. And it's the first of its kind, actually, because it's the first time that I've invited someone back to the podcast. And it is my friend, Natalie Kennedy, who is also the founder of Anxious Love Coach and a meditation teacher, among many other things. And if you missed our first episode together, it was episode 12. We talked about how to be single while in partnership, which may sound confusing, but if you missed that episode, it's a really, really good one. I highly recommend listening to it. And in today's episode, Natalie and I are back to talk about how to release control in our relationships. How do we let go of this need to control our relationship, control our partner, even if those habits are happening unintentionally, right? Because of course, we're not necessarily trying to do this, but oftentimes the habits, the behaviors, the things that we're thinking about or worried about or trying to have our partner do can show up as a form of controlling. And so in this conversation, we're gonna talk about how to release some of this control and how to surrender more in our relationship, what that looks like and how we can still get our needs met while releasing control over them getting met at the same time. So you'll see more what I mean when you listen. And I'm really excited to share this with you. Thank you, Natalie, for joining me for a second time for this conversation. And let's dive in. Hello, hello, Natalie. Welcome back to the podcast. Yeah. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for being my uh, first guest that has come back for a second time. I really loved our first chat and I know a lot of others did too. And this one, I have a feeling about it. It will be another great one. I'm very thrilled to be back for seconds. The first time was delicious. (laughs) Indeed. And we talked a little bit about what we wanted to cover, but I'm excited that we didn't really get too much into it because the topic is so vast and it can go in so many different directions. And I'm really trusting that whatever comes up today will be exactly what people want to take away from it. So the general theme is how to let go of some of the control that we want to have in our relationship and surrender a little bit and explaining how that can show up in different ways in our relationship. So before we get into that, just in case someone isn't familiar with you or your work, do you want to share a little bit more about your journey with some of these topics so that they can understand how you've learned about this stuff? Yeah, uh, I can do that. So my name is Natalie Kennedy. Um, I'm known online as a relationship anxiety coach, but that's just a name I've plopped on what my work has ended up in. But fundamentally, I teach mindfulness within the context of partnership. And 
so much of, I had my, my, my husband, Preston and I, we've been together for about 12 years and for about five or six of those, I had one foot out the door. I had um, multiple divorces between my parents. Some I witnessed, some I didn't, but just the fact that my, there were multiple divorces between my parents kind of, I don't know how this happened, but I adopted this idea that I was not cut out for marriage. But if I was to get married, I needed to find somebody perfect because I saw my parents as failures for having gotten divorced. And I did not want to be a failure. I wanted to um, have a successful relationship. And so for a while, I believed that successful partnership means no flags whatsoever. Um, and so, you know, my husband and I, when we first met, we were madly in love and uh, we graduated college and went into the workforce in our own separate directions. And um, life happened. We became grown ups, although really we were just toddlers and adult bodies. And um, the real work began. We totally fell out of love with each other. We became codependent. Um, I had enormous relationship anxiety, constantly questioning the relationship. And long story short, I kind of had a come to Jesus moment. Um, where I realized I needed to get my eyes back on my own paper. And I took some time, even without breaking up, I just kind of broke up inside of the partnership. So not changing the label of being in a relationship, but um, refocusing on me. I spent some time traveling. And during that time, um, I really found myself again within the context of partnership. And um, I pulled my other foot out the door. But that was just the beginning of that. Um, you know, there's there's going from terrified to not terrified, but not terrified doesn't necessarily mean you're alive and well. It just means you're not dying anymore. <laughs> so going from dying to not dying is progress, but you know, the whole purpose of life is not to be just not dead. Um, so I went from having a lot of relationship anxiety to not having relationship anxiety, but still having a pretty mediocre relationship. Um, and then the next the next stage started happening for me of like, okay, I'm not freaking out about my relationship anymore. I don't have one foot out the door. I'm okay with it being whatever. Um, and I don't want it to just be whatever. I want to make it amazing. I want it to be sexy. I want it to be spicy. And that was a whole nother skill set. So going from scared to not scared is one skill set. Going from not scared to in love and passionate, that's another skill set. And a lot of the second half of the work has been even more getting my eyes on my own paper and seeing what was mine and what was his and not getting involved in his stuff. So that's kind of um, been my journey. And I happen to share about it and people happen to like it. And so mm -hmm. I guess that's where my work ended up. And now I'm here today with you. Yes. And for those who haven't already, I think it's episode number 12. We kind of talked a little bit more about that bit you mentioned about taking some space to find yourself again while in the context of a relationship still. So we talked about the theme of being single while in partnership. So for some background context, listening to that episode may help you piece together some of what we're going to share here. But you said the phrase staying in my own lane or keeping my eyes on my own paper. What do you mean by that? And what is it when someone isn't doing that? When they have their eyes on someone else's paper, like their partner, what does that look like? How does it sound like? And when did you notice that that was no longer feeling good for you? 
Yeah. So to me, keeping my eyes on my own paper means I don't get involved in other people's stuff. Um, I don't try to, I don't take responsibility for the consequences of, uh, sorry, I don't take responsibility for preventing the consequences of someone else's behavior. So um, for a long time, I loved my, I thought I loved my husband so much that I just wanted to prevent anything bad from happening to him. And so I would see him doing things that I thought were going to result in something bad. Like, oh gosh, what if I don't wake him up? He's going to sleep in and he's going to be late for his meeting. And so my idea was that loving was waking him up and making sure he gets to his meeting on time. Um, this is not love. This is control. Uh, it feels like love because we want the best for our partners. And that makes sense. It's not, it, it's coming from a good place, but ultimately it took me a while to realize that uh, love is also letting him be an adult and experience the consequences of his own actions. And also what I always noticed was anytime I tried to be quote unquote helpful, um, it's not like he was appreciative because I'm basically sending him the message that um, I know what's best for you and you don't. And uh, it's very disrespectful. Um, and also another kind of example of what it means to keep your eyes on your own paper is also emotionally. There were, you know, my my man is a man and, you know, everyone has this side of themselves in them, but I noticed, I noticed pattern that many men don't seem to have an issue taking space for themselves, whereas women feel really guilty about taking space for themselves and setting boundaries. This is just a pattern I've noticed. Obviously, it's a generalization. But what would used to happen is when my partner would kind of seemingly pull away just to go do his own thing, um, I would perceive that as an abandonment. And so I would go chasing after him, trying to figure out what's wrong when nothing is wrong. He just, he's a human that needs solitude like anybody else. <laughs> um, and what would happen is he'd be unapologetically focusing on him. And now I'm focusing on him too. Who's focusing on me? Nobody. And to me, getting my eyes on my own paper is focusing on me while letting him focus on him. Mm. Yeah, I love both of those. And I almost kind of took two themes, like you said, away from that. One of them is the controlling of actions to try and help but it ends up being like you are kind of taking over for them or are trying to manage day-to-day -day things or or parts of maybe their schedule or things that they can have their responsibility for so that's one theme and then the space piece which is that any sort of space that your partner would take away from you and I can relate to this when Nate is kind of like, oh, I'm going to go do my hobby right now, or I'm just going to stay home while you go do this thing. There's this inner dilemma where it's like, does that mean something about me? Or does that mean that you don't want to spend all of your time with me? Mm -hmm. um, so maybe let's go into a little bit more about each of those, because I can relate to both of them. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can too. So when it comes to the controlling part what are you doing now instead? And did that take a long time for you to kind of see the fruits of, or like, how did you start releasing the need to butt in or kind of <laughs> add your lovely, helpful opinion towards your husband? 
<laughs> my lovely helpful opinion <laughs> which is for everybody else except myself <laughs> um so funny enough I knew this stuff but I actually didn't really hardcore start adopting it until maybe this past winter starting January or February of, of 2023 um, my husband and I were on a flight to Australia which is a really long flight and I was reading um, the book, The Empowered Wife by Laura Doyle. I don't know if you've heard of Laura Doyle. You've told she's me about a, her. She's a little controversial, but I think that um, there's a lot of, you know, really helpful bad bitch insight in there. And she said, you know, you're so used to leaning in and like checking in and trying to get his attention by doing that you forgot that you can get his attention by not doing. You can get his attention by leaning back and just relaxing into your own energy, um, your own maybe what we might call femininity. Um, and it was funny because in the moment that I was reading that, it, we were on a red-eye flight and he was sitting next to me and I was tired and grumpy and I just wanted his reassurance. I wanted him to be like, hey, how are you doing? Can I get you anything? But like, I don't want to tell him to do that because that kind of doesn't feel quite as satisfying when you make them do it. It's more satisfying when they do it out of their own free will, out of an own impulse to care for you. And Laura Doyle said, you know, you're never going to experience the joy of uh, someone doing it to you out of their own impulse if you're constantly soliciting it. And she said, like, try leaning back and just being okay right now. And so it was a perfect moment for me to like, look over and be like, okay, I really want him to like check in on me, but she says not to do that. So I closed the book and I just, it was like four in the morning of some time zone. It was just dark and quiet and awkward. And I'm in a coach seat like this. And I just decided to close my eyes and relax my body and drop my shoulders and relax my jaw and just breathe a little deeper and find a couple pockets of comfort in this coach seat. And I shit you not, Sarah, in two minutes, he put his hand on my knee and he's like, hey, can I get you anything? And I almost, I swear to God, I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that could have been a coincidence. But just in case, let me keep trying this. And I started noticing this to be true more and more and more. And all of a sudden, the relationship started go going from good enough to like really deeply nourishing. And it started it resulted in me getting more surprises and more affection out of the blue. Um, but it's difficult because in those moments, you have to be okay with waiting and you have to be okay with um, the fear of abandonment. You have to feel all those feelings that come up when you don't go into that impulse to do something. Because um, mm -hmm. the reason we do all that stuff is to try to avoid a, a, an uncomfortable sensation in the body. Um, we think that if we don't do something, nothing's that the thing that we want, we're not going to get. And we have to kind of be okay with not getting it before uh, we feel okay. And then ironically, when we become okay without it, that thing just arrives on our doorstep. And by then we don't even need it. So it's a pleasant surprise. And we're just so much more grateful. I have noticed this to be annoyingly true, Sarah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that specific example. And I love how you, especially even like the, the very little pieces of getting cozy in the chair or like just kind of deepening into the comfort of not even the most comfortable situation. It's 4am it's dark, like, but you're still taking that pause to get centered and almost give yourself what you need. Like I'm not abandoning you, Natalie, I'm going to be here. And then there was that external support from Preston as well, which I don't think is a coincidence. And it's like, thank you, Laura, you're looking down on me right now. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I was so surprised. Um, And I think when we relax, we automatically become more magnetic and attractive. Mm -hmm. And so that could be the other, uh, you know, your partner can feel when you're agitated and on the verge of controlling them, they can feel it. And so they're going to be like, whoa, I'm just going to, just going to wait here and they're going to back off and maybe even put up a little wall. But when they feel you're good and you're chill and you don't need them, that's when they lean in. Yeah, absolutely. And I've noticed this as well. And I've also resisted this idea. I don't know if at first, like part of you was like, ah, like, but I want to be able to just do what I want. Like, I don't want to feel like I need to be chill all the time in order to have this good nourishing relationship. And so I think, you know, it's okay, obviously, if sometimes you're still experiencing anxiety and you're not perfect, but Mm -hmm. I think it's not only helpful for the relationship and for your partner, but it's helpful for your own inner state. And so that's why I was excited to chat with you more about this and why I've been more interested in these ideas, because it's come up with a lot of my clients, this notion of, I want my partner to take the lead more But what we often discover is that they are not necessarily taking their foot off the gas as far as trying to lead their partner. And so if both people are leading, how can that work, right? Like it gets confusing. So talk to me a little more about that. Have you found that when you stepped back from leading that there was inevitably an opportunity for more leadership from him? So First of all, yeah, it's true that you cannot lead someone into leading. What you can do is elicit, uh, and you can inspire a lead. Um, I do a lot of Argentine tango, and what I'm realizing is that leading does not mean blindly following and going along with whatever he wants. Um, You know, the if I want the man to be the head of the house, I'm still the neck. (laughs) So men control the world, but the women control the men. (laughs) And so (laughs) that's kind of how I see it. It's like, okay, yeah, you're leading, but I greatly influence your lead. Um, Ultimately you call the shots, but you're going to know how I feel about it. And so from, if he's a good lead, he's not going to just be a tyrant and not pay attention to your wants and desires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes and the other thing I wanted to say, um, cause one of the things you mentioned is like, how long did it take for you to start seeing results? The reason I shared that story with on the airplane was because it can literally take five minutes. So it doesn't have to be, uh, like six months 
you know, you can try it today and you might notice a shift and then you're never going to want to go back to controlling. Mm -hmm. Once you see the, once you experience the first time (laughs) of getting what you want by relaxing and trusting that it's coming, not, you have to tell, you have to kind of, you do have to name what you want, but we can talk about that a little bit later about what it means to actually name what you want. It's not saying I want you to do this. It could be, I want a red carpet. Okay. How, how that unfolds is up to them. I I want the end result, but I don't tell them how to do it or when to do it or how they should do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway. So I share this to say it can be really quick can be a quick shift. And then once you see the fruits of your labor the first time, um, it's going to change you in a really deep way, like it did for me on that airplane. And I became obsessed with using this strategy because it's so much easier and you save so much energy. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Controlling is exhausting. Yeah. For everybody involved. <laughs> you got to like tune into your own little bitch to like inner, inner bitch, especially as a woman, you have to turn or, or, or any feminine being who wants their partner to be more ma- masculine or, or lead if they don't like that word. You know, if you want your partner to take the more yang role in the partnership and you want to go into the more yin role, um, once you experience the benefits of not exerting effort, you're never going to want to go back. You're going to want to be a lazy queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. And the second kind of piece of the puzzle you were sharing earlier was that whole notion of not needing to constantly be in the exact same space in order to have a nourishing relationship. And I can kind of give a personal example. And then I'd love to hear if you have anything else to add. We did kind of talk about this in the last episode, but I think it's worth bringing this into the conversation is that whole notion of you don't always have to be doing everything together. And if your partner is intentionally retreating or taking some space, that is not personal necessarily and taking it personally and trying to kind of close the space can be, you know, it just can create challenges. And so for me, when Nate and I recently moved home, I was dead set on finding a creative hobby. Like I was, I was like, I need to sign up for a ceramics class. I need to find something. And the ceramics class is probably coming in January because we didn't, my best friend and I didn't get into one. It was like cutthroat. I'm not kidding. We were like, we, one of us got in, the other one did it. Like, no, it was so dramatic. (laughs) But anywho, I started uh, doing watercolors and I got it as a birthday gift and it's been so relaxing and especially even getting together with girlfriend and doing it and just, you know, having quality time and going over to watch Golden Bachelor, like just girl time and things that really fill me up and help me get out of the house and take care of myself. And it doesn't have to be with others. It can just be on my own, but Ever since that happened, Nate got more permission to lean into his hobbies that he's enjoying right now and have his introvert self time. And then when we come back together, it feels really connected versus towards the end of me living in Sweden, I was starting to kind of feel like I didn't have these activities where I was starting to resent when he would take that space because it meant that I didn't have something to do, but it was really that I just didn't take that ownership. And so I'm really seeing exactly what you just shared and the benefits of it. Um, And I just wanted to bring that in, but I'd love to hear 
how you kind of started making that transformation and how you realized that him taking space was not a dig at you and it wasn't a sign of abandonment. It was just a necessary part of the dynamic for you guys. I mean, you kind of said all of it. <laughs> Didn't mean to steal your thunder. <laughs> oh, you didn't steal my thunder. You made my job easy. You said everything already. Mm-hmm. Um, I I feel very inspired by your story about choosing to take up watercolors with your girlfriends because to me there is nothing quite as fulfilling as hanging out with girlfriends. Um. My husband is wonderful and he is very um, sweet and validating and he's a great listener and he's not a woman, so he doesn't know what it's like. So there's just, there's a level of um, separation there that's healthy and normal. And I think when we don't have girlfriends, we start trying to turn our partners into our girlfriends and not to say that that's wrong per se, it's just, it can mess up the attraction and the polarity. And you might find that you're trying to um, get something out of him that he doesn't authentically have to give. And you can use that example with, with anyone or anything. It's like, you know, don't ask something from someone that they don't have to give. And you have to be honest with yourself about a person's capacity um, so what I'm hearing is you're honoring each other's capacity and in the meantime, filling up your own well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was Esther Perel that's, that said that a, a fire needs oxygen. Oxygen means space. Space is good for a relationship. The mm-hmm. needy, anxious, chasing parts of us maybe would like to believe otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And Earlier, you kind of mentioned um, this idea of being able to get your needs met still, but perhaps not in the exact way that you're expecting them to be. And before we had jumped on, you had shared this idea that um, you've leaned more into surrender lately in your partnership, but that it took you a little bit to kind of suss out is surrender this passive thing where you just don't, you know, do anything at all and you completely release, or is it somewhat of an active practice? So talk to me a little bit more about what surrender means for you. And especially in this context of releasing control in your relationship. Yeah. It, it, thank you for saying that because surrender is such a loaded word and a lot of people think it means submissive or passive and it's not surrender is actually very difficult um an example i gave recently um i have this monthly patreon that i do and i I gave an example of um, my birthday recently back in august and this was like one of the hardest applications of surrender in my life but it turned out beautifully um So my birthday was on August 16th and I wanted a gift just like any other woman. I wanted a tangible thing in my hands on the 16th and on the 14th. And I hadn't been telling my husband what I wanted because I didn't actually want really anything. We were traveling and living out of our suitcases. So I didn't really need more items, but I still wanted something. I didn't know how to reconcile this. So on the 14th, two days before I'm on Etsy 
And I'm looking at this pair of pink tango pants with the like, like frilly bottoms. And I'm like, oh my God, those are so cute. And I, when Preston's cooking in the kitchen, I said, oh my God, I love these tango pants. I want these tango pants. And he said, I'll get them for your birthday. And I wasn't thinking. And I said, oh, really? That's so sweet of you. I'd love that. And then the next day I realized, dude, they're on Etsy. We're in Vienna. I'm not getting these till Christmas. And I was like, shit, I want something now. <laughs> so I later uh, the next day on the 16th, I said, hey, I know. I know I said I, I wanted these pants for my birthday, but I actually would love something in my hands for my birthday. If you're willing, I'd prefer that over a, a birthday present for Christmas. I think every woman would understand that. And guys, they like, just don't give a shit. <laughs> but every woman I've spoken to is like, yep, I'd feel the same way. <laughs> we want a <laughs> present on your birthday in your hands. Yep. And I said, you know, I'd love those pants for Christmas, but can you get me something for my birthday? Just whatever. And he said, yeah, of course. Nice. And I'll get you something soon. And like, it was already my birthday. So I knew I wasn't going to get something the day of, but I was like, yeah, he'll get something within the week or two or three or four. <laughs> the problem is I didn't want anything. And so he probably was not sure what to get me because I wasn't giving off any signs of desire. And so a week went by and there was nothing. And I was like thinking, oh my God, what if I don't get a present for my birthday this year? But I was practicing trusting. So I said, okay, let's see what happens if I just, if I'm chill, if I don't bring it up and say, where's my birthday gift? Because it's I just don't like how I sound when I am like that. No one wants to sound like that entitled, where's my birthday gift? I didn't want to do that. I wanted to have some dignity. And I don't feel like I don't have dignity when I say things like that. But again, how could, how would he know what to get me? I haven't had no desire for any item. Anyway, a couple days later, we're walking around Vienna and I see a woman and she has this dainty little gold bracelet on and I see the gold bracelet and I think, oh my God. And I pointed it out. I said, that bracelet is so beautiful. And I left it at that. And then I just, just chilled, just name, oh, name the desire and then lean back and relax. A week later, out of the blue, he shows up with a little tiny little bag and he says happy birthday and guess what's in it little bracelet little gold bracelet so it took about a month mm -hmm. from so I got it like September 15th or something like that but I didn't say a peep I just trusted that he knew and that he was going to follow through on it he might not follow through it on it in the way that I want in the timing that I want the bracelet needed to be adjusted because it was actually an anklet not a bracelet <laughs> But the reality is he followed through on his word. He was paying attention to my desires. I wasn't nagging. I wasn't on him about it. Um, I trusted that he has a pair of ears and a brain and a pair of eyes and that he knows how to go find a bracelet if, if, if he needs to. So, and when I got the bracelet out of nowhere, it was such a pleasant surprise and I was so grateful and he got to feel like the man. So to me, that's a story of what it is. It is not easy, very difficult. It's a practice of trusting your partner. And also notice how I, I still shared my desire. I want the gold bracelet, but I did it without this like entitlement or demanding. Mm -hmm. So I'm not staying silent and saying, I don't, I don't want anything. I don't care because I do care. 
but I'm also not demanding and entitled and chasing. I am the, the discernment I make is there's a difference between deserving and entitlement. I'm deserving of the bracelet. I act deserving of it, but I don't demand it. Like I'm a spoiled little girl, mm-hmm. you know, in um, Charlie and the chocolate factory He's like, was it Veruca Salt? I want it now. I want daddy. I want it now. Many of us are like many women, unfortunately, and men are like that in partnership. And it's kind of icky. So to me, surrender is still about having desires. It's still about speaking your wants and it's maintaining your dignity. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I heard a quote last night on a podcast that was completely unrelated to relationships, but I feel like I'm always listening for the nuggets. (laughs) And someone said, it was a piece of like marriage advice that they heard. And I was like, Ooh, my ears perk up. And I always listen to that type of stuff. And it said some marriage advice that the person had got was every morning. If you wake up with the mindset of how can I serve and give to my partner today, and they adopt the same mentality, you're going to have a much more fulfilling relationship than the people that wake up and say, how can I get something from this person today? And of course, I'm not saying that you should be in a one-sided relationship. That's not it. But if both partners are most of the time in that spirit of how can I give and support versus what am I getting, I think it's going to just pay off so much as far as the energy that you contribute. And that's what kind of was sparked when you said the Veruca salt comment, because I'm so guilty of, I want it now. And then feeling like, oh, well, I'm not getting enough from this, or I'm not feeling connected enough. I'm not this, I'm not that. And it's like, well, what did I just give to me today? You know, how can I take that as a cue to then go give love or do something nice just because I know that it will help the relationship and it will also help me actually feel better by giving and giving him that. So I think it's it's such a backwards approach sometimes uh when we're actually looking for the ways that our partner can just meet all of our needs. And the nuance with that is that of course you still have needs. So it's important to honor that. Um but maybe in more of a surrendering type of way to try and get the needs met quick episode break to let you know that i am now enrolling for two-month private coaching clients this is the most flexible private coaching package i have ever offered to be able to support you in feeling more confident and clear in your relationship in our two months together you will leave with tools and practices to use on the spot during moments of relationship anxiety a stronger self-awareness of how your own patterns contribute to the dynamics happening in your relationship you're going to build a deeper sense of self-trust that you are moving forward and making a trustworthy decision as well as a deeper sense of self-compassion and being kinder to yourself during moments of relationship anxiety. You're going to have more clarity around why relationship anxiety shows up for you uniquely 
and the confidence to move forward without constantly questioning things in your relationship. This two-month package starts as low as $375 a month for a five-month payment plan, and you can check out more information in the show notes if you're ready to show up in your relationship with more confidence and learning how to navigate moments of relationship anxiety. Past private coaching clients share that working together was a game-changer, life-changing, the best decision they've ever made. And if you're so ready to learn how to show up in your relationship from a place of more love and connection so that anxiety is not in the driver's seat anymore, check out those show notes and go ahead and sign up for private coaching. If you have any questions about coaching, just DM me at you love and you learn on Instagram. Thanks so much. And let's get back into the episode. Also, you don't, the, the, the caveat of that is I used to take that advice and it's not wrong. It's true because so many people are entitled in partnership. They, they think about what they can get as opposed to what they can give. And I know people, especially women in partnership with men, but not always who, when their partner kind of withdraws and stops giving, they start giving more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I say, stop. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> so, so that, you know, there's, there's caveats and nuances to that. If your partner's doing their own thing or they're immersed in work, you don't want to go saying in the name of giving, like, I'm going to be this martyr. He's not giving me anything, but I'm just going to open my heart and be even more loving and cook him more dinners and do more laundry to prove my love to him. And then he'll appreciate me. That's bullshit. Totally. So yeah. at that moment, you know, the giving doesn't have to stop, but the giving has to be redirected inward. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you are giving with the hope that you're going to get appreciation or reciprocation, that is no longer a gift. That is now a manipulation. Mm-hmm. And the most loving thing sometimes is to stop being so fucking loving mm-hmm. in those instances. It just means it doesn't mean you're mean it doesn't mean you're unkind it doesn't mean you're punishing it just means that you pull your energy back and fill up your well again so that's the caveat sometimes the most loving and giving thing you can do in your relationship is take care of you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah thank you for adding that context in 100 percent agree you have to make sure you're focusing on giving to yourself and not overly giving to a partner. And that's kind of that one-sided comment I meant. Definitely not advocating for that here. And what there will be times when they pull away and they do their own thing. And that is not the time to hold the mindset of, I'm just going to keep giving. No. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And that would be almost an example of where surrendering takes intentionality and it's not so passive because by surrendering and giving them that space, it's almost like you're actively practicing coming back to yourself and getting back into the present and and filling up your cup and staying in your own lane, keeping your eyes on your paper, as you said. And I think that's where I really resonated what you shared about how surrender is not just like sitting and kind of hoping around. It's an act of mindfulness of not trying to get rid of the discomfort and lean more into that trust and focus on you. Thousand percent. Surrendering is also about accepting the other person as they are Mm -hmm. uh, because you're not going to change them. So when I, you know, surrendering means um, not 
just going along with whatever they want you to do. You can say no, you can have boundaries and say, oh, honey, I'd love to do that, but I can't tonight. I'm hanging out with my girlfriends. Surrendering also means surrendering to your own wants and needs and not mm-hmm. bulldozing yourself. Um, surrendering means accepting potentially that this person is not going to change. And what are you going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Sur- if you're in an abusive relationship, surrendering doesn't mean taking the abuse. Surrendering in that case would actually mean accepting that they are abusive. Mm-hmm. Surrendering to the truth of what is, mm-hmm. and then basing your decision off of what is. So it means it's a very active practice. It's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, absolutely. And a client recently, actually multiple clients have had similar experiences where they realized that they were kind of changing parts of themselves in order to be more I guess, connected to their partner because there were parts of themselves that maybe didn't quite fit with the dynamic in the relationship or things that they love to do that they stopped doing. And it's, they almost felt like there were parts of themselves that they were giving up. And when they were able to reclaim some of those things and bring those back in, they realized that they felt much more connected to their partner again, and much less of a panic that they needed to leave the relationship. And so I love that piece that you just said, because sometimes surrendering to quote, quote, the truth or whatever is really going on might mean like, I've actually been sacrificing some parts of myself in this relationship. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to leave it in order to get those parts of me back. But it might mean that I need to surrender all of this energy I've been placing towards my partner and pull it back in. Beautifully said. Thank you. What are your thoughts are if kind of what you just said, we're not trying to have someone that's only giving, giving, giving martyr energy. That's not what we're really talking about. But at what point, if you're surrendering, actively letting go, and there are still needs that are not getting met, at what point do you feel like someone has maybe given it their best shot at doing their role? And there's maybe something that isn't going to get met in the context of a relationship. My relatively simple metric is when you take really, really good care of yourself, does the relationship get better or worse? Mm. That's a really good question, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very simple, but it makes such a good point because if someone's really taking good care of themselves then it often, there's often downstream effects and you can kind of tell what those are pretty quickly. Yeah. If you're with a malignant narcissist, they don't want you to be empowered. They will try to prevent you from hanging out with your friends. They will try to stop you from having hobbies and stop you from getting an education. So if if you having impeccable self-care, I just watched... um, a movie with I had a girl a girls' night the other night and with one of my girlfriends and we watched the other woman. Have you seen that movie? I don't think so. Who is it like is there anyone I know in it or Nicki Minaj is in it? And okay. there's one there's this one sentence that she said that my girlfriend and I looked at each other and we've been t- texting this sentence back to each other all week. Um she said selfish people live longer. <laughs> <laughs> I Nicki love Minaj it. is like girl, take care of yourself because selfish people live longer. And my girlfriend and I were just hooting and hollering over that. And we were like, it's true. Selfish women live longer. Selfish people live longer. 
And so we were thinking, man, how can we apply that, apply this? And I think when you are more self-focused, selfish to me does not mean I take care of myself at your expense. It just means I'm self-focused. I'm not deliberately trying to hurt you or anything. And ideally I can take care of myself in a way that honors you and doesn't take anything away from you. So, so to me, that's what selfishness is. Or if you don't like selfish, use the word self-focused. Mm-hmm. But when you're really focused on yourself, the relationship ought to improve because mm-hmm. you're going to start glowing and your partner might be more inspired to add on to your glow. They don't replace it. Um, mm-hmm. If you can't, it, it, this is where that advice of like, you need to know how to be single. You need to know how to be alone. Um, I still think it's true. I I don't think that you can't enter a partnership if you don't know how to be alone. Just know that that's going to be a limitation you're going to run into. If you don't know how to be alone, anytime you are alone, it's going to freak you out. Just like being single freaked you out. It's going to be something you'll have to face at some point. Mm -hmm. So you need to be okay being single. You need to not have to need your partner. You want to be with them. You don't have to be with them. Mm -hmm. So However, if you're with someone who's more abusive or tyrannical, they're not going to want you to be autonomous and independent. They're going to want to belittle you, control you, demean you. So it's a simple metric. If you take really good care of yourself and you get happy and the relationship goes to shit, that's not the right relationship. Mm, Yeah, that's a really good metric. I might have to... uh borrow that and give you credit, of course, but I love it. And yeah, I think that's so important. So, so important. I don't have anything much else to add to kind of uh, close this conversation out, but we can talk about it for however long we decide to. We had mentioned that this art of letting go because it is an art and the art of surrender and the practice of releasing control and staying on your own paper, all of that has affected the way that you and your husband have shown up in your sexual and intimate connection. So without me going any further into any sort of prompts, like talk to me more about that and what you've noticed since this uh, transformation. (laughs) So we have some things going on in the background of our lives that are a bit stressful. So a part of me is like, I am no person to talk about this, but I will talk about the times when it works really well. Mm. Uh, the times when it works really well, my cup is really, really full and I don't need him much and he doesn't need me. We want each other. We choose each other of our own free will. And to have a great time in the bedroom, it starts with everything outside of the bedroom. So clear up resentments, which Clearing up resentment does not mean telling your partner everything you resent about them and hoping that they respond well. It means noticing where you've kind of been a victim in some ways and not not taking responsibility for your aliveness and your pleasure and clearing that up and and not putting yourself in a position to get taken advantage of all the time and making sure that you set your life up in such a way where you're good. Even, even if you're in a partnership, how do you set, this is, this is where it's an art. You got to figure out how do I, if I'm living with somebody, how do I set up my life in such a way where I'm going to be good? So maybe you have separate bathrooms. You and I were talking about this before you hit record. Mm -hmm. Okay. And maybe if you don't have separate bathrooms, can you have a separate 
a towel rack because I do not like my towels being touched. Like don't touch my towels. Don't touch my towels by using it. Don't touch my towels by putting your towel on top of my towel. And I don't like controlling. And so I, at some point I was like, honey, I don't want to fight with you about towels. I would like my own rack or something because I love you and I care about you. And I don't want, I want us to have our own separate things here so that we don't fight. And um, I love you too much to fight over this. Let's, let's prevent it from happening. So how do you set up your life in such a way where you are in a way in control of your environment so that you can enjoy life? So, so that you can surrender inside of that. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. And then another part of it is slowing down in the moment and letting the moment be as it is. It doesn't mean you don't want it to change. It doesn't mean you don't name your desires. It just means that right now in this second, you are re- your body, your physical body is relaxed amidst the external being whatever it is and that can include in your lovemaking so you know if it's important to not compare your current lovemaking experience with something you saw in a movie just you got to be able to drop the fantasy and find the little pockets of what is working so maybe you know he's not Maybe he's not going down on you in quite the way that you like, but you like where his hands are placed. And so you can say, I like where your hands are placed. That feels nice. Mm -hmm. Or like, where, where is the pleasure? Mm -hmm. If it's not hurting you, it's probably okay. But, you know, you can, you can make suggestions, but at the same time, I think there is a, there is a mild caretaking of your partner's ego that is worth noting. It doesn't mean you have to completely do it, but a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's some people might disagree with me on that one. And I would totally understand. And you, you can take that part of what I say with a grain of salt, but I take my partner's ego into consideration when I make decisions because when he's all wounded and huffy, it doesn't really benefit me. So finding a, tactful way which is an art to name what I want without make wrong is really difficult and I don't know this is a, this is a lot of just a bunch of random stuff it's not like one playbook that I have it's just things I just notice what he's doing right name it say thank you be gracious you know do no harm but take no shit you know and f- notice what's going right and and be gracious about that and what you water and what you focus on grows. So if you're focused on how your sex life sucks, it's probably going to stay that way. If you intentionally, deliberately look for some things that are going well and name them and water them, things will start to improve. This has been my experience. Beautiful. I don't know if that was helpful. It was all just like random. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> I like because random. I'm still figuring it. I'm still figuring it out, but I've noticed those few things have been helpful. Like make sure that things are set up outside of the bedroom to caretake yourself. You're going to be happier overall. You're going to be more receptive. Don't go from like working eight hours a day and then jump in bed and expect that you're going to be ready right off the bat. No, you're going to need time to slow the hell down and get into the mood. Foreplay is real and it starts way outside of the bedroom, way like many hours 
definitely. Yeah. No, I thought all of the blah, 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 blah was beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciated. And it's helpful to just to hear that, like, I mean, right at the beginning, you were like, we're in kind of a busy season of other things going on. And so sometimes this all feels like it really applies and other times it doesn't. And I think that's a really important message, even though so much else in there was, I really want people to like, listen. And if you need to listen again, that's fine. But I just want to reiterate that part on my end, because I think that's kind of been Nate and I's dynamic too. It's like sometimes not even just physically or sexually or emotionally, we're really connected and strong. And then other times we're not, but it's like, there's just so many things that are kind of at play at any point. So when you can come back to that center of if I'm taking care of myself, does this challenge, you know, improve? And am I more receptive to finding creative solutions? I think that one question can go such a long way in so many different areas. Mm -hmm. And it's, it really comes down to being deeply attuned to yourself. So like I said, some of the things that I share that worked for me now might not work for me six months from now. We're going through some some personal transitions right now and there's stuff going on that, that I'm not comfortable sharing yet. But it's it's caused me to be more like stressed out and tired. And one of the things that Press and I were doing regularly is we both have a tango membership. Like we have a dance school membership and we do tango like two, three times a week. And right now I just, I don't have the energy for it. I don't have energy to do tango, but like I've loved tango for six years. Mm-hmm. And so for me to all of a sudden be like, eh, I don't really want to go to class right now. I'm too tired. The other day I was like, I need to drop the membership and use that money to go to the spa. Mm-hmm. And I like never considered that was just a given that I'm going to be paying for tango classes. And it's like, no, actually at this particular season in my life, I I need something different. So just because don't assume that anything is a given and that it has to be that way. If you are constantly cleaning and you're tired of cleaning, what can you drop? What can you drop something uh, and get a little extra money to hire a maid twice a month? You know, there's, there's always ways to wiggle things around based on your priorities. So what would take you from feeling okay to like really good for me? I've tango used to feel really, really good, but now it feels okay. And what would feel really, really good is a massage. So let me like actually put my money where my mouth is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Such a good reminder of just like not constantly analyzing your choices, but just constantly checking in from that curious place like just inquiring like oh is this still clicking for me right now or is watching tv every night helping me and my partner connect it's like it doesn't have to be that every night you have this crazy activity together but like if you notice a pattern of oh we're just kind of both on the couch every night then maybe one night a week you just start going for a walk after work or something or after dinner it doesn't have to be this groundbreaking change but just knowing that you are so much more in control or you have so much more power to inspire the change you want to see in the partnership. Yeah. You have all the power. Yeah. I love it. We often get resentful when we think we don't, but we do. Beautiful. Well, I asked you this question in the, the first podcast we did, but I'm curious to see based on kind of where you're at now and anything else that's come up since we last did the episode with the final question I ask all of my guests, what's one thing you have learned about love that you would want to leave listeners with? 
Oh, I remember that you asked me this last time and I forgot that you were going to ask it this time. Uh, (laughs) I like when it's spontaneous. Yeah, I know. You know, this theme of selfishness is coming up for me in the recent weeks. Um, It started with seeing the movie and hearing Nicki Minaj say selfish people live longer. And then I just read a book a second time that I read when I was 16 and I read it again as a 31 year old. And the book is called why men love bitches. Have you, have you heard of this book? It's awesome. I've heard <laughs> of it. I haven't read it though. I read it in in almost one sitting and it also has this same message. It's like be more selfish. And surprisingly it seems so counterintuitive that being more selfish would improve your love life. And I know I just said, like, don't be entitled. But but there's a difference between being self-focused and being entitled. You can still put yourself first while being respectful of others. And I think that is the sweet spot. Mm, Yeah, I love that. And I'm assuming, and I, I haven't read the book, but I bet you that there's so much more nuance in the book than the title communicates just because yes. I feel like I know you and what type of stuff you're interested in. And even if there isn't nuance, I know you're adding your own. So just for anyone listening, like if you hear that title and you're like, oh, like that sounds cringe or like, I don't want to be a bitch. It's like, maybe there's still something in there that could help expand your perspective and there's something you could learn and then apply it in your own way. And I think that's what's helped me in these last four plus years of exploring relationships is realizing that hearing one catchphrase or one title of a book or something doesn't necessarily give you the full look into what it's really about and trying to be open to people's perspectives that probably can teach me a lot. So thank you for that recommendation. Yeah. And thank you for saying that. And she does actually in the book say a bitch does not mean you treat your men like a punching bag. It means mm-hmm. it, it means you have dignity and it means you have a little bit of an edge and you let people know that, you know, you, you don't have to say, I don't let people take advantage of me. You just act in a way that doesn't like people take advantage of you. You know, the, 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 the bitch in the book is more, she actually doesn't need to say much. She says everything with her actions. Mm. So she's not mean. She's very kind. She's very sweet. And she gets her way in a, and you don't even know why (laughs) and you're happy for her. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, I feel like I'm very glad that we didn't have a set Thing that we were going to really go structured in a way because I felt like we ended up covering everything that I envisioned in its own unique way. So is there anything else that you want to just close out and share with people or anything going on that you want people to know about? No. Thanks All for right. having me on. <laughs> You're so welcome and uh, grateful for coming on again. And everyone definitely check out Natalie's work at Anxious Love Coach on Instagram and TikTok. At least I can, at least I can plug that because I obviously love staying connected with you on both of those places. <laughs> yes. And thank you very much for having me on. And if you are listening, thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to me, us ramble. yes thank you so much everybody i'll see you in the next episode thank you so much for listening to the love and you learn podcast if you've been enjoying the podcast it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are 
the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.